Hey guys, before we get stuck into today's episode, I want to thank the sponsor of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, and that is Unify Health Supplements. Unify have the most premium, high-quality, science-backed products on the market in Australia today, and you guys can use the code TFLP to save 10% off your next order at unifyactive.com. Unify has a range of products, including whey protein isolate, plant-based protein, a pre-workout, creatine monohydrate, and their best-selling product, the Hydration Formula. So again, use that code TFLP to save 10% at unifyactive.com. Hey, uh, world. I am Big Joe Fourier, formerly in the NFL, tight end. Um, now I guide breathwork around the world, and this is the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, and I am very happy to be here. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. Joe, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, Danny. I appreciate you, bro. It's a, it's a pleasure to meet you. I feel like in this last five to ten minutes, we've already kind of connected a little bit. As you mentioned before, different, very different, uh, definitely different in height, but different uh, stories in a way, but kind of a few similarities. Um, I'd love for you to kind of kickstart us off by running us through, like, what did the early days look like for Joe? Obviously, you know, starting football from an early age, and, and what was that progression through, you know, high school, college, and, and eventually being in the NFL? Well, you're right about one thing. The resonance you could feel with other athletes. I never, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget like having been in the same place with certain elite, elite stars like LeBron James and things like that. And even then, like different sports as well. Like you, once you find out that that person played uh, a professional sport or any sport really mm. at a high level, you get that respect because you don't need to really explain yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you say like, you're playing basketball or I was playing football and you're going to work. People used to scoff at that when I used to tell them. When, yeah. well, if you told me that, I'd be like, yeah, you're going to work. Mm-hmm. You're, getting, you're getting the job done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless. Uh, kind of like that, that uh, scene out of Step Brothers. What is the bit where, and then it's like, do we just become best friends? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> right there, you know, you, uh, if you also like doing karate in the garage, <laughs> then, then we're going to be best buds. So we both have gone through that karate in the garage stint and, uh, and yeah, my, my story is uh, I owe a lot to not only football, but sports in general. Mm. Grew up playing. It, it gave me, I wasn't, I'm an only child, so it gave me brothers. Um, wasn't really close with my father, so it gave me father figures mm-hmm. with my coaches. And, you know, it also gave me discipline. And as a wiry kid um, that wanted everyone to like him, Sports gave me all of that. Um, I played football. I played basketball. I even played volleyball. I got scholarships to play at university for all of them. Uh, Along the way, it was just part of my identity, part of my DNA. There wasn't any season that I wasn't playing a sport Mm -hmm. or playing. Yep. Uh, And then mixed in with some music and piano lessons and stuff like that. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, my, my journey was was kind of thrust upon me even when i was a young a young buck mm-hmm. big joe was my name and uh i kind of had to back it up yeah <laughs> <laughs> otherwise i mean i get i get this now that i don't play sports but a lot of people were like you're so tall what sport do you play yeah <laughs> and, and nowadays it's like eh, i don't play anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you have the cheeky people that you know maybe are not so keen on social cues that are like, oh, what a waste. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thank you for yeah, bringing me down a notch. I appreciate you. Have a nice day. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I owe, I owe a lot to sport in general, especially yeah. football. Um, and I look back at it fondly in reverence because though it did take a lot from me, it gave me way more. When you say it took a lot from you, uh, can you dive a little deeper into that? Yeah, I mean, when I say it took from me, it, it's uh, the countless amounts of yeah. concussions and seeing stars and blacking out real quick, which back in the day, uh, when, when I was younger, uh, now they're a, 
uh, much better about it, but it was, oh, you blacked out, you saw stars, or you don't remember much, or you're, see- you're seeing bright, bright like lights in your vision, mm-hmm. or black spots in your vision, uh, rub some dirt on it, <laughs> and get back in. Yeah. Now there's actually protocols and stuff like that. Around so, CTA and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't think of it as something inherently bad or like that actually hit me until people around me, people that I knew really dearly were suffering from it. Mm-hmm. You, the degrees of separation, as, especially as you get older and as, as, as you play longer, the degrees of separation that men or pe- people that are affected by that particular disease, yep. uh, brain disease, CTE, is, is too close. I have a friend that of mine that's going through, uh, sorry, I say friend, but an old teammate of mine from Notre Dame football mm-hmm. who is you know, on trial for, for some heinous, heinous act. Um, but he, he's just not the same person anymore. Yeah. And I don't know if you watched the Netflix show about Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, I did. Um, that, you know, there's too many points. There's too many... Um, things pointing towards that being the cause, or at least one of the root causes. Obviously, there's other branches that yeah. form from that that gets you to that point. But, and then, you know, the, the, the stories of guys unaliving themselves by not their head, but shooting themselves in the chest. And that is, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to say out loud, but there, there's reasons for you know, men going through this and not, feeling like their brains are the same. They're not wired correctly anymore. Mm. Um, and that's so in reference to shooting themselves, in, taking their life through shooting themselves in the chest, obviously uh, to save their brain for that people to be able to study it, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's scary. Um, yeah. But then again, also things like my fingers or my, my knees, my clavicle, my, definitely my ankles. Yeah. Like I feel football every day every day i feel it my first step out of bed and granted my steps out of bed are much more graceful and less painful and less sore yeah. than it used to be yeah um but you know i i walk differently not not any not any sort of bravado but i walk differently because i got a little limp in my step for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and that's why i had to rely on the the healing modalities like yoga and breath work and stuff like that yeah for the, for the Aussies that are listening at the moment, just on the topic of football, I'm interested, like, how does, when you're first starting out, how do you figure out what position you are going to be playing on a football field? Like, is it just get in there, try a bit of everything, see what you're good at, see what you're shit at, and then just lean towards what you're good at? Or, like, is it very much based around height and um, athleticism? Like, how does that kind of play out? Right. I mean, if I was 50 or 60, or excuse me, not pounds, kilos, Yep. 20 or 30 pound kilos heavier, mm-hmm. I'd be an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, size definitely plays in, uh, a part in it. I wouldn't be playing running back yeah. at 6'8". <laughs> yeah. uh, but, um, but yeah, I grew up. I wanted to I had my quarterback dreams. Mm-hmm. I wanted all the glory and all the girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, quarterback was what I wanted to do. Yep. Uh, along the way, though, you do try everything. I played safety, but I, I would never play safety in the league. Yeah. Um, you kind of put your athletes wherever they can be successful. Mm-hmm. And be, being one of the better players as I was growing up, I'd just be in a spot where I could make plays. Yep. And then as you grow older and as you get to a, a smaller playing field, that gets more refined. Mm-hmm. Well, we have, a, we have another quarterback or – this, who's going to throw you the ball? Like, yep. uh, you can't play safety. You're too big. Go to defensive end. So that just gets refined as you get to high school. And then after high school, like high school, I'm playing both ways. I'm yep. doing, I'm playing defensive end, a little linebacker. I'm playing tight end receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you get to the, once you get to college at university, that gets more refined and you're probably most likely more often than not, you're playing one position. And even then, like, that doesn't even – sometimes you can even switch along the way. Yeah. I remember some guys that were, you know, slated to play tight end. They ended up moving to defensive end mm-hmm. maybe because they got a little too big or they f- yeah. realized they could be more successful elsewhere. Uh, but, yeah, as you get higher and higher level – as you level up mm-hmm. in your play and as you grow older, that 
the position gets more refined. And me being six foot eight and having the basketball background, no stranger to going up and getting a rebound over mm-hmm. over fools. And, <laughs> uh, and, you know, that would relate to catching a pass yeah. over fools and mossing them and that type of thing. I remember listening to one of your uh, past podcast episodes. You, you were a guest. I can't remember what show it was on. And you were telling a story about dunking on someone. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell that story? That story? That, that specific you want to, story? Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, was, yeah. That was um, hilarious when I was listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, it, it stems from the story of why I left Notre Dame. Yeah, which uh, I wanted to get to as well. So this ties yeah, in perfectly. Yeah, might as well just yes. lump them in together. Yeah. Uh, well, that story's out there. It was a story that I held uh, to myself for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Due to what? Feeling of shame around it or? Shame. Um, it was... It was, there's a lot of trauma yep. associated with it. Mm-hmm. I was at my dream school, Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and towards the uh, end, of, end of the first year that I was there, which we had sp- during springtime, yep. which springtime is like April, May type yeah. of uh, vibe over there, um, I had the opportunity to do, finally move up in the ranks and start playing more. Uh, when I was playing football, when I was playing my freshman year, um, and then came time to like enjoy myself after the spring game, which is like the off season time yeah. to like place, you know, uh, see who is doing well. You play against each other and that type of thing before mm-hmm. the actual next season, next fall season starts. Okay. So every dormitory at Notre Dame is one gender. Okay. Um, Male or female. Mm -hmm. Let's not get into anything else after that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, that was me uh, in St. Edwards Hall, and every every dormitory has a um, resident director, someone who watches over everything. The females have a house mom, and males have a priest. Okay. And this priest uh, and I, I thought that we had a pretty good relationship. So I see him after the spring game. I'm making my rounds throughout the hall. He sees me. We get in the quick conversation about you know the spring game and you know how he's hoping I do well. He heard he heard I was I had a good game and to be safe that evening. Mm-hmm. And you know, being the 19 year old, joyful, boisterous, gregarious uh, personality that I was, I said thank you so much, Father. And uh, and when he went away, I gave him a little little slap on the butt <laughs> and. <laughs> He, Danny, he did not like it. <laughs> he didn't like it. And he turned around and this, this, this short man with, with really rosy cheeks, it turned fire red <laughs> and he was, you know, cursing at me. And I, and I just went, he went red. I went white. I was yeah. like, what the heck? Yeah. I've slapped so many butts. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never had that reaction. <laughs> Granted, it, it was my first, it was my first relationship with, my intention versus someone else's perception and how they received it. Yep. And then again, I was also going against the grain of him not even liking me, which I found out later. So I went through this whole process of him finding... Him not, not liking you. He just didn't... Prior just, to that. Prior to that. Right. Right. I don't, th- I don't think the slap was the catalyst. Yeah, I yeah. think there was a lot of stuff beforehand that right I then later on found out. Yeah. I was like, bro, I, you really hit it well. You did not fuck with me. Yeah. And... I only did that because I thought you did. Yeah. Um, granted, don't be touching priests. Yeah. <laughs> but it was such a like a, a reactive type yeah. of thing that <laughs> I just, you know, I that difference between how you can act on a football field and how you act in the real world with a priest was yeah, especially <laughs> with a priest was not refined. Yep. I was a 19 year old kid. Yeah. Um, with a, the whole world ahead of me, um, in my hands as well. Like I mm-hmm. was the big kid on campus. Um, you know, in Notre Dame, football is like the highest level yeah. of university sport that you mm-hmm. can do. Only thing I can associate it with would be UCLA basketball yes. or Alabama football or yeah. something like that, like a storied tradition. But the t- couple days later, I found out that I was, I got a manila envelope under my dormitory door and it slept under there and it said I was insubordinate. I, physical violence, because he said the slap hurt. <laughs> I got these triple X's. So <laughs> it's like, sorry, sorry, father. And then, uh, and then I had um, also been uh, told I was sexual harassment. So I'm 
in the eyes of Notre Dame sexual harasser. But it's a private university, so yeah. it didn't become public. So public. I don't have to like register as a sex yeah. offender <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But that was very difficult to uh, go through. Mm -hmm. So the trauma associated with, you know, that whole scenario and, and leaving my dream school. Because thereafter, I, I found out he didn't like me because we went through this whole interview process. Yeah. Um, but I found out that he, this is, this goes actually back to your question. Yes. Why he didn't like me is the dunking story. Uh, <laughs> so there was this legend around campus that this safety, um, played football, mm -hmm. uh, for the football, for, played football and at Notre Dame. And we had this, the biggest outdoor basketball tournament yeah. in the world. It's outdoors. It's called bookstore basketball. If you are part of the the um, junior college across the street, Holy Cross, you can play. If you're part of the all-girls school across the street, St. Mary's, you can play. If you're a janitor, a professor, a regular student, mm. if you're associated with Notre Dame, you can play in this tournament. Yeah. And people have fun with it. You know, Some people take it seriously. Other people are dressed up as Pokemon. <laughs> and you know, yeah. people are hammered playing sports. <laughs> and it, it, it gets to a point where you, you weed those ones out and you get to a point where it gets really competitive. Yep. So this legend I heard about this, this safety was that he had like dunked on some regular student, you yeah. know, playing this basketball team or playing this basketball tournament. And after he did it, he yelled out to the top of his lungs, that's why you pay tuition. <laughs> and that's why basically that, that's why you're paying for school and I'm not. Uh, so I heard about this rumor and I was like, oh, you know what? Like to my buddies, I'm like, if I get a good dunk, I'm going to say that. So semifinals. Uh, we get really far in the tournament. We actually end up winning the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But the semifinals, I had, it's like a light drizzle of rain. There's hundreds of people watching us in the, the light drizzle of rain at night. And it's a really tough, competitive game. And I get it. I get this alley-oop from one of my teammates. Slam it home. <laughs> <sighs> and like, just, ugh, just primal, right? Yeah. <laughs> and in that moment, I was like, ooh, this is my chance. This is my chance. This is my chance. This is it. This is it. And I was like, that's why you pay tuition. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh, you know, just yeah. all my friends are on the stands and stuff like that, just going nuts. The priest was there. Right. My resident director, he was there. And he used that against me. He was, you know, he was picking apart my character. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, I was, I, I'll, I'll look, I look back at it, and I'm like, you just, you just don't understand sports. You don't understand that after I dunked on this dude and, put my nuts on his shoulder <laughs> that we, we, we dapped each other up. Yeah. He said, good game. Yeah. He, he laughed about it. Yeah. He's like, Oh, is that you like, you said that. I was like, yeah, I said, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's like, that was good. That was good. And like, meanwhile, someone else was more offended. Yeah. It seems like a trend in the world these days. Correct. He was yes. way ahead of the game. He was offended <laughs> for him. And I'm like, you don't have the right to be offended. You have yeah. no idea. You weren't in the lines. Mm -hmm. You've never been in the in the gridiron on the basketball court. Yeah. You've never done that before. Yeah. Your life was praying mm -hmm. and and getting offended. <laughs> so from that moment, I I just I just really got this hard lesson because thereafter they suspended me mm -hmm. for the next summer and the next fall. And football season happens to fall in yeah. fall season. Um, I just had a, a tough lesson uh, at my dream, getting suspended from my dream school that I, at the time, didn't care about the path of destruction I left behind. Mm -hmm. It was my way or the highway. You know, I, I reserved that I would have good intentions and I had, the, I had you know, the best playful, joyful type of uh, predisposition. Mm -hmm. But not everyone does. Yeah. So then that gave me a very tough lesson of, who deserves my energy, who I need to be careful around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's certain butt slaps that are reserved for people that you're closer to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was difficult. I, that was my first time ever experiencing sleepless nights, mm -hmm. uh, truly, like consecutively. Um, and, you know, it, it was, I was the triumphant uh, um, athlete that left California, went to the Midwest for this really prestigious school, and then I had to come back home. Come back, yeah. Come back home. Mm -hmm. But I was really lucky that I was able to come back home to go to UCLA, which is yeah. not a downgrade by any means. No, no, no. And also, 
grateful that it happened in retrospect. Now yeah. Yeah. I can look back and see that red light and uh, look at it as a green light because if I were, I heard stories about my friends that did finish Notre Dame and they survived Notre Dame. They didn't really enjoy it. Yeah. You know, there's not much else to do. Yeah. And I went to school at UCLA yeah. after. <laughs> I'm going to parties in Beverly Hills. I'm yeah, at the Playboy yeah. Mansion. I'm in <laughs> I'm in Manhattan Beach. I'm doing all this fun stuff. Like, yeah. And I'm back at home. My family gets to come to my games. Right. And I'm like, okay, this worked out well. Yeah, this worked out Thankful well. Thankful for the slap. Yeah. Thankful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And so I'm curious in that period after, you know, uh, as you said, you end up going to UCLA. So I'm sure that kind of helped brighten the, brighten the mood a little bit and, and, and bring that frequency up again. But throughout difficult times and even like, you know, coming into the NFL uh, undrafted, I believe, and it was yeah. uh, Detroit Lions. Yes. So throughout any of those difficult periods early on, did you have much conscious awareness to the tools you could use for your mental health and for, you know, to, to look at raising your own frequency? You know, do you have much awareness around any of this stuff that back then? No. 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 I. It's a great question because... People ask, people ask me that a lot. Like, were you doing this back then? I'm like, what? I mean, I maybe did a little bit of, actually, I didn't do yoga until I went to UCLA. Mm -hmm. But even then, it was because I needed to stretch. I liked the hot, uh, you know, hot atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And also, I sat in the back, and I love <laughs> when women do cat-cow. So, uh, it was, it was, that was my relationship with healing modalities. Besides that, it was, you know, figure it out. Yeah. Very old school you know, mm -hmm. toxic masculinity type of like rub some dirt on it, figure it out. Keep close and outcomes. Yes. C keep, keep it closed. Mm -hmm. uh, don't share. And that, and I was raised by women with the help of my grandfather as well. My grandmother, my mother, mm -hmm. and my grandfather raised me. Um, and you know, the, it was open, it was supportive, but still like I was this big guy with this, with free, with free university. I was playing sports. I was getting all the attention. I was on TV what do you really have to complain about? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I want if I can, you know, you see nowadays that people that are a little bigger are complaining about the seats, not being big enough on the planes. Am I going to start complaining about not fitting through doorways and how yeah. the doorways aren't made for me? Yeah. No, I can't complain about that because there's too much, too much good surrounded about being this, this tall, yeah. this large. So it was, uh, yeah, during that time I didn't have the conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't have a good relationship with the, I had a relationship, but not a good relationship with the, the healing modalities. Yep. Um, and I see that it is more readily available. It's more trendy. It's more scalable nowadays for younger individuals, younger athletes especially. I mean, right now, uh, the quarterback for the national championship team in uh, America, the mm. Michigan Wolverines, he was doing breath work, meditation, yeah. and stuff like that. And I look back at it and I'm a little jealous. Not because they're also making millions of dollars and they were also selling my jersey 10 years, 10, yeah, 15 yeah, years yeah. ago. And you weren't making those millions no. of dollars then, yeah. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I look at that and I'm like, oh man, you, you guys are ahead of the game. Like I look at people, you know, 10 years younger yeah. than me, 15 years younger than me, starting high school or university. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I see that, the, that this is more of a, red, a readily available option. Mm -hmm. And back then it was kind of taboo. Even back then, like yoga was like, where do you go? Now there's yoga studios everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very westernized. It's it's a lot of options. Yep. And now it's the breath work. Uh, all these things are becoming the world of that. That world is is less less far away. It's a little closer and more attainable. Yep. Um, but yeah, I really wish I had these things to fall back on back then because it would have offered me more less sleepless nights mm -hmm. and also better relationships yep um more depth oh i always had depth to me with and i always had good friends but you know more yeah. and deeper and stronger and also taking care of my mental because i was the guy that would close off i was the guy that would pout yep i would i was the guy would that would throw my helmet on the sideline mm -hmm. I, I was you know there was times when i was like a loose cannon but that was also associated with things that were going around me yep. that I couldn't control. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people- Suppressed emotions and stuff as well, yeah. Suppressed emotions, yeah. Yeah. What was the catalyst then for, for you being introduced to breathwork and I guess embarking on your journey and, and more of the spiritual side of things? The catalyst was, I mean, I had to do it. 
I, I only do breath work now because it, it's a necessity. It's a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it revealed so much of my own self and it's given me peace of mind and clarity. And it started with meditation. It started with Headspace. I was doing the 100 days in a row on yep. the app, guided meditation. And I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. I would actually, like, when I was going through it, through it, yep. I'd left a relationship of six years, moved from New York back to L.A., living with my family, and not making any money. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I doing? People would ask me, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I did know that meditation made me feel better. Yeah. And I put a meditation pad right next to my bed. Mm-hmm. Nice little, you know, those circle yep. pads, you know, that you, yeah, I put it right next to my bed and it, it, uh, it gave me, it gave me, you don't ever end a workout and be like, Oh, I regret that workout. That's exactly what I say to my clients around meditation at yeah. the moment, but yeah, go on. Yeah, sorry. exactly. Yeah. I never ended a meditation whether it was five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I never ended it being like, I regret that. Yeah, I wish I didn't do that. Right, I wish <laughs> I didn't do that, you know. Uh, the the meditation gave me something. But then again, being an athlete, being a man, having that logical side of my brain mm-hmm. working, I wanted something tangible. Yep. And then uh, shortly thereafter, it's like 2018, 2019, I was introduced to breathwork. Mm-hmm. And th- it, didn't, it didn't go full steam ahead. I tried okay. a little bit here and there. And I got more curious and started doing Wim Hof yep. YouTube videos and yeah. stuff like that. And it gave me something tangible, something undeniable. And, and I developed a very close personal relationship with it mm-hmm. because thus I was developing this unwavering confidence with it. Yep. And it was, it was, it was awesome. I'm like, why, why are my hands doing funny things? Why yep. am I shaking? And why am I seeing bright lights? Mm-hmm. Um, why do I feel like I'm being held yeah. um, by something su- like super spiritual or yes. whatever you want to believe in? And then my background with spirituality was I was raised Catholic, Christian yep. Catholic. And I actually didn't remember these particular... Uh, I did remember, but I didn't know how impactful they were. Mm-hmm. I was surrounded by very God-fearing women. Very, uh, you know... Um, they. My grandmother, her sister, so my aunts, um, my cousins, women were, they were so strong, but they were so, they believed in Jesus, yep. the power of the blood of Christ and, and God so much. And back then I, you know, I went to church and stuff like that. It was oppressed upon me, but I'll never forget very young, very early on, I'd be in a, the back room with my aunts and my grandmother and my mom, and they were like speaking in tongues. They were speaking in like different lang- mm-hmm. languages I didn't know, Yeah, you know, and raising their hands, their eyes are going in the back of their head. And I'm over here eating my goldfish, like what <laughs> the hell is going on? Like really small kid, but yeah. it became normal to me. So my initiation was around amazing, strong, powerful women channeling and, 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 you know, speaking words that weren't their own. Yeah. And I look back at it now in reverence, but during that time I was like, my family's crazy, yeah. you know, <laughs> but that was my initiation of healing. And yeah. I, I carry that with me because I think that was impressed upon me at a very young age. And I kind of not, I didn't suppress the memory, but I just didn't remember or associated with what so I was, do, what I was doing it with yeah. now. Yeah. And that has become ever more apparent with my spiritual experiences that I've had now. Mm-hmm. And it started with breath work. I didn't start with mushrooms. It didn't yep. start with any psychedelic. I had my first psychedelic experience with breath work. Doing Wim Hof with, I invited a few friends over. It was the middle of COVID. I had had a little taste of what breath work did in a psychedelic manner, but it was very personal. Yeah. And to be honest, Danny, I was, I thought I was crazy. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't want. It can be quite scary when you don't understand right. what's going on or whether or not it's a normal Type right. of thing as well, yeah. Right. And a lot of people say, like, you know, when they take breathwork classes, like, they like to do their personal practice or one-on-one. Mm. 
but it's really impactful to do it in a group yeah, because then you get to hear everyone else's experiences yep. during integration. And if you go to a breathwork class and there's not integration after, don't go back to it. Don't go back. Don't <laughs> go back. No, no, yeah. it need, that needs to happen. That is the most important part. Yeah. You can feel safe. You can cry. You can do all these things. But if I do a breathwork class and I guide a breathwork class and I send you on your merry way right after, I am doing a disservice to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it needs to be integrated. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be vocalized mm -hmm. and articulated in the best way you can because you might you might have a similar experience or inspire someone to speak about their experience and then you can be like, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. I thought I was crazy. And it wasn't until 2020 on this rooftop apartment of mine in West Hollywood, California, I invited four of my friends over, a bunch of dudes doing breath work. And at one moment, like one of my friends was not so keen, so yeah. he watched. So there was four of us doing breath work, one, one of my buddies watching and my dog. And we're doing the, like four or five rounds of Wim Hof. Mm -hmm. And I go through this wild experience. Eyes are in the back of my head. I'm holding my breath for five or six minutes. Mm -hmm. My friend that I was watching almost checked on me because I was like having this almost yep. epileptic yep. episode happen. I'm seeing, I'm seeing white, bright lights. Uh, I'm buzzing. I'm seeing fractal patterns. I think I saw Buddha. <laughs> I, I, I was, this was amazing. I feel so good. I felt joy, elated. I bu I'm literally buzzing. Pure ecstasy, yeah. Ecstasy. Mm. And what did we do? We talked about it after. And <laughs> if I didn't talk about this, I would still think I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I talked about it, and my, my friend Bernardo, beautiful Brazilian man with blue eyes, he had just done his first DMT okay. uh, ceremony the night before. Wow. So that was still, whatever you believe in, that was still in his field. The miracle, mo miracle molecule, diamethyltryptamine. He took it, he smoked it, he had this crazy experience. He, t he told me about it, but I really didn't have any sort of relationship with it. All psychedelics to me were taboo. Like, yeah. Keep that away from me, not my style. Didn't really understand it. Mm. And then when I had my own experience with him, kind of almost siphoning off his yeah. latent or leftover energy from the night before, I was describing my scenario. I'm describing my experience and what breath work, what the breath work just did to me, mm -hmm. or what it in uh, what it incited within me. I'm explaining. I'm explaining. We're talking. You know, sharing just a bunch of dudes. You know, a couple have tears. Da da da. And he's like, "Welcome to the club." I said, "What do you mean?" <laughs> what yeah. Do you mean? He's like, "DMT. That's what that is." And I'm like, "No way. You're telling me also that I could smoke something." And have a spiritual experience like this and not have to breathe for an hour and a half? <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. So that just opened the door of possibilities. Shortly thereafter, I tried mushrooms for the first time. Yep. And with your first experience of mushrooms, did you go like hero dose or microdose? Uh microdose like throughout the whole day. <laughs> My first time doing mushrooms was in Coachella. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was in Coachella. I had some chocolates. And throughout the day, I was like, oh, this feels amazing. I'm I'm like, you know, just in it. Now I would never really take mushrooms or psilocybin or anything like that around a party, yep. around a bunch of people like that. Mm -hmm. I never take mushrooms without having it be in a ceremony. Okay. And it's a non-negotiable. I'm yep. doing mushrooms with breath work as well. So that, that, has, okay. that relationship has changed. Wow. But I'm grateful for my initiation into it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then um, it opened the, up the door to when things were... Uh, uh, gifted to, or experiences were offered or gifted to me, I could be more inclined to say yes because, oh, you you you, ha you want to, you're offering me a ceremony of DMT or a five MAO DMT. Mm -hmm. uh, I I've been there before. Yeah, I've knocked on that door, but you're telling me I could smoke something and kick it down. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> wild. I um, I haven't uh. I haven't tried mushrooms just yet, but I have some. And so at the moment, and, and I have a friend of mine who um, runs like ceremonies. And so at the moment, I'm kind of like, I want to do it. I'm going to do it. It's just like going going all in with just going into that experience and because I've uh, I've done so much research around it. But at the same time, like I feel like I'm super ready for it. So quick kind of background on my experience with all the breath and, and everything as well. I uh, did breath work for the first time probably probably around similar time to you, like maybe 2017, 2018, um, I did a breath, uh, Wim Hof workshop. And 
that was the first time I'd tried it and, and, I, and we did like about 45 minutes of just round after round after round. And similar thing, I got to this point where I was just holding my breath for that long that I almost went into like this, this seizure type feeling. And I remember just kind of like sitting up, gasping, and then just going straight back into the breath. And at the end of the whole thing, you know, it felt incredible. Um, my apologies, went incredible. Um, and the funniest thing is I had my friend who came along to this workshop with me. He was laying down next to me and he's like, He's like, I felt, it was like you were just, you were tapping me. He's like, I was like, what does this guy want? We're like halfway through this breath work. And I like turned around and opened my eyes and you were like full like seizuring next to me. Um, but <laughs> that was amazing. And, and after that, I continued to just, you know, regularly do the breath work. And I've had like an experience with Allah, who you're going to meet on Monday, I believe, um, where we did a one-on-one session and did the whole kind of breakthrough session, which was kind of two and a half to three hours. And I had this full out-of-body experience where we, we did a mixture of obviously the, the nose breathing and the mouth breathing as well. Um, and that was wild. And with the meditation side of things, and this is something I wanted to ask you about as well, very similar to you, I started off with Headspace app. Um, I just felt like I never had any peace in my life ever. Um, very similar to yourself, like just go, 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 push, 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 work through this, force this, this, that, and the other. And it was the first time I found like this, just a slight little bit of peace. I'm like, this is, this is all right. This is nice. And so, but then very quickly, it became the same thing. It was like, all right, I'm going to do a year of meditating every single day. So it, came, it went back to being like this practical, tangible thing of just ticking this goal off every day. But throughout that year, I was introduced to Joe Dispenza. And so I started doing deep dives on Joe's work and actually understanding meditation and, and what it can be used for as such. And so the beginning of last year, I did his advanced retreat. And so we did, I think, 36 or 37 hours of meditation across six days. And we were also introduced to like healing meditations and um, the pineal gland breath, uh, which was just the wildest experience I've ever had. Like, or like on par with the experience I've kind of had with with breath work as well. Um, but the question I had for you was, what has been like? Have you had any? What has been the biggest lesson from either psychedelics or breath work that was very uncomfortable for you to have to go through, but then you you took a really significant lesson or something from it that you are able to implement into your life? It all starts with me. It taught me, it showed me, it revealed to me that it all starts with me. It was very easy for me to blame mm -hmm. and place blame on the traumas that I grew up with mm -hmm. or people not reacting to how I was the, the, the way I thought they should or anything along the lines of, um, let's say, I guess the most uncomfortable thing was that it revealed that I was, you know, there's points of which I was wasting. Um, I was wasting my, uh, my life. I, there was times when I was so depressed that I couldn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. um, my identity crisis with football thereafter um, and pouring out my heart for others and not pouring out for myself. Um, I love really hard. I love, I love a lot. I was taught, I was raised by women and there's grace about that nurturing element that I received that I also give. However, I gave to a fault. I gave so much that I would never give to myself. Mm -hmm. And how could I love anybody if I didn't love myself? I thought I was a failure. I thought I, there was nothing else I could do for the world. And that, that showed. Uh, people could feel that, that uneasiness. Mm -hmm. um, and that was hard to be reflected. And now... My reflections are beautiful. So I'm grateful for meditation and breath work and those type of modalities to help basically come to more to terms with who I am, what I'm here for, and what I could do for this world to make it better. And I now can, I don't teach or educate besides just remind people. I call myself a guide or a reminder. I'm reminding people of, their own power. I, my intention for all practices is to, I always have two intentions, to empower people and to make them feel safe. And along the way, 
throughout my life, I've noticed I am six foot eight. I can walk through dark alleys and feel fine. So I navigate through life pretty freely, pretty openly, pretty like, uh, what's anybody going to do to me? <laughs> you know, good luck. <laughs> Not everyone gets to go through life that way. Mm -hmm. So who am I to guide a breathwork session and expect, especially women or just anybody, to close their eyes for 45 minutes or an hour and trust me? And along the way, I knew one of my superpowers that I found out throughout my life, especially through travel, was making people feel comfortable. I always wanted to be liked, and that's more turned into less of wanting to be liked or people-pleasing, mm -hmm. but more so turning into, if we're going to meet, whether it's a podcast or a quick hello, I want you to feel better having met me. Because through my experiences, I know what the opposite feels like. like I don't want anyone to feel that way. And there's times along the way where I was going through that period, my dark period, my rock bottom. And I do remember certain small interactions that made me feel better. And I remember those people for that. And I'm always grateful for them. Whether I don't remember their name, but mm -hmm. like passing by in the subway or um, a quick interaction, you know, grabbing food from a yeah. cashier, whatever it is, that compounds. So if I can be part of that compounding effort to make someone feel better, then good. Amazing. I, growing up with a basketball coach of mine who has uh, been probably one of the biggest influences on me, he, he said this thing to me once and it's just stuck with me since. It was like, it's not about what you do for other people, what you give to other people, what you say to other people, it's how you make them feel. Come on. And that thing for me just, oh man, it hit me and it's just stuck with me ever since. And it's something that, you know, I, I try and carry into absolutely everything I do. And um, it's wild, isn't it? Even, even within business, I had uh, Bob Proctor's son on the podcast recently, okay. Brian, and he was saying how growing up, Bob said to him, like, one of the best lessons I can give you is every person you see, imagine four letters on their head. MMFI, make me feel important. And so just that, that connection that you can build with someone straight away by just how you can make them feel um, is such a wild thing. And, um, and as you said, it's like you, you know within yourself. And I've been saying this to my clients a lot as well, um, just around how easy it is to give to other people. And it doesn't have to be a materialistic thing. It doesn't have to be spending money on someone or anything like that. It's like kindness gratitude compliments and and all these tiny little acts that we can do that require fuck all effort from our part right but the flow on effect of positive energy that that you know will come back to you as well and not that that's why you're doing it that's not the purpose of it but the the ripple effect just one small positive act can have on making someone else feel good and and how that then impacts how they treat others and the flow and effect of that mm. is just such a wild experience beautiful uh, i'm so glad you said that because it's all just energy right 100 percent, 100 percent, and I hope I am not taking this the wrong direction now, but ahead, I'm uh, I'm I'm interested to hear for you. You've mentioned a couple of times like the those dark periods and and the rock bottom for you. Are you able to go into detail about what that rock bottom moment was for, or that period was for you? And then the second part of that, I guess, knowing what you know now and having your level of awareness you do now in regards to judgment on outcomes and whether things happen for you or or, or to us and all the rest of it, like when you look back at some of the darkest periods of your life now, do you perceive them differently now than what you did at the time? Yes. It's a great question. I have, it's funny to associate rock, it's not funny, but it's to associate rock bottom with which point of my life I can pinpoint. It was losing football. It was my own mistake getting me to a point of which I was never the same player again. And I had this stigma around my name for having gotten hurt off the field. And then just dealing with me being part of my own demise. Mm -hmm. And that was very difficult. Having to, to take responsibility for that. Right. And there was a ton of shame associated with it because on top of it, I lied about how it happened. So that integrity um, was non-existent. And that word integrity really shines true to my life now more than ever. I'm still working on it, but I think it's always a work in progress. 
Um, but yeah, rock bottom was losing football. And with that, it was also um, getting to a point where I had a witness to my suffering with the partner that I had during this time frame. And that was difficult for me as well, because being an only child, I was used to <coughs> handling it on my own. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I had support, but I didn't have a brother or sister, so I, I yeah. got it on my own. Um, and because of that, through a, the hard way, I, I leaned on these, the meditation, the breath work, and mm-hmm. that type of thing. And with those, my predisposition and just everything became brighter, lighter, um, more purposeful and intentional. Um, and I was building that. But football tore down the building that I had before. It de- demolished it. Any sort of pillars I had or value, or not values, but pillars mm-hmm. for, or foundation I had for my life or identity was gone. And I had to tear down that building. It was a really nice building. And I, it was really hard to demolish it. Yeah. But it needed to go. It needed to go. And I had to rebuild. Mm-hmm. And because I rebuilt, I built this new home of mine. Metaphorical home. Yes, yeah. And thereafter came a point where as soon as things were brightening up, you know, COVID happened. I was okay. I, I know what I want. I'm starting to have a better grasp of what I want, what's good for me, what I can maybe do in this world, mm-hmm. really leaning into the wellness, really having, wanting a lust for travel and experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I um, was more pressed for if anything else happened to cut me down a peg or to humble me or to challenge me. Mm-hmm. And those challenges came by way of losing both of my parents within a month of each other, just two years ago. Um, I'm sorry to you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. But unfortunate part about it is that it comes for all of us. However, came for me a little sooner than I'd like. And even then, like I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the podcast, wasn't too close to my father. Actually only have two or three memories of him. A, cu- uh, a couple times we hung out when I was five years old. He called me uh, on when I was 22 years old. So no contact for 17 years. Called me when I was 22 years old, wanting to go, wanting to see me after the biggest college game of my career. And I was like, nah, homie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see you on my terms. Yeah. You enjoy the game. That's All a right? hard pass, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then fast forward eight years, again, no contact. I'm 30 years old. I go to my mom. I'm like, hey, I'm traveling. <laughs> this is great. I want to get my Italian citizenship. I can do that because my father's Italian. Da, 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 da. I just approve my great grandparents. By any, by any means, I could do that. And I'll never forget. My mom was like, uh, "Joseph, he never signed your birth certificate." I was like, "What?" So I knew this, but it never really registered because I was young and I was yeah. just like living life. I was like, "Oh, like my mom never collected child support. Nothing. That's why she got help from my grandparents." But my mom was a worker. She played both. My mother and my father. Mm-hmm. She did that, and that was difficult uh, for her to really obtain any sort of partnership because she was in her masculine and her feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the feminine was so strong and needed to be nurtured, but she needed to be big and strong for me. Um, and in that moment, I was like, "Well, it's time to get that birth certificate signed." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I went. Out, I showed up at his house, and I hadn't seen him in twenty-five years. Showed up at his house. Wow. Yeah, and how did you feel coming into that? How, like, what was how was your? I had a purpose yeah. to see him. It wasn't just to see him for any sort of closure. Besides, yo, sign this. Mm. But it did turn into something beautiful. We shared. Um, I get to hear stories about my family I didn't know side of my family I didn't know. But then again, I met him, and I was like, okay, it's good that you weren't in my life. You were locked up a couple times. He had the bad teeth from you know drug overuse and that type of thing. Um, and then. Got my uh, birth certificate signed. Funny, funny part about it is that the, no- the notary that helped me sign everything had the same first and middle name as my mother, Julie Ann, which, yeah, is, wow. which is gnarly, which is cool. But I look at those parts of my, of, of my story, and I'm like, uh-huh, little, little twinkles in my eye, little mm. messages from the universe or God or whatever you believe yeah. in. Uh, that was ever so apparent. Um, and then eight months later, he passed away. And I remember t- I broke the news to my mom 
Um, and you know, I from when we from when that time that we had together, when I showed up to his house, he was wearing a UCLA football hat. So he was always a fan of mine. And he had one more hat in the home on his coffee table. Some big mess of a coffee table, cigarettes, buds everywhere. Mm. A Lions football hat. So this man that I had no real relationship with was proud of me. Mm. And I'll never forget when I first saw him, he just, you know, he trembled and, and couldn't speak any, utter any words, and he was just crying in my chest. So I went from not seeing this man for 25 years to then comforting him. Mm. And talk about closure. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the memories I do have of him, uh, it was deep. It was good. Yeah. But I remember a month, uh, a few weeks uh, after that, eight months later, he passed away. I, I broke the news to my mom and seeing her go through that pain, like I never shed a tear for him ever when I heard he passed away. It wasn't ever a part of me to feel that. Mm -hmm. But for her, it was. Yeah. She, she made a baby with this man mm -hmm. and it was difficult for her. I, mean, I couldn't imagine the slew of emotions that she was going yeah. through. Um, and then thereafter, uh, a month later, my, uh, my mother passed. Um, she was a nurse and um, I'm careful with how I describe this, but she was forced to get the vaccine and the complications thereafter led to her um, seeing black dots, having a really high degree fever, um, got sent back from work. Uh, she was having chills. And two or three days after, she fell, she hit her head and never woke up. Nah. And, you know, uh, I'm not one to be like, oh, don't get, don't get the vaccine. I'm, I'm a big believer that if you want it, get it. If you don't want it, you shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, she was forced. And uh, it's one of those things that it will always be hard to, Pill a hard to a hard pill to swallow, definitely. Um, but I will never forget the night before my mother passed. Um, I was with some friends, smoking a joint in Malibu, watching the waves crash, and I was with two of my friends that were in the healing space. Yep. One yoga teacher, one friend of mine that was there when I took my first psychedelic everywhere, first psychedelic in Mexico, which was the day after my father died. I just happened to be on this spiritual retreat yeah. when I found out about my father's oh, passing, wow. which, was, which was good. Yeah. <laughs> the universe, again, doing yeah. its job. Um, and I'll never forget the, the day before, it was May 18th, 2021. He, I uttered the words, if death showed up at my doorstep tomorrow, I would be okay. And it manifested in a way where the next morning, I woke up. Thank God I was staying at home. I was only there for a couple weeks because I was traveling. I stopped by at home. and um, I woke up to the most blood-chilling scream I've ever heard. And the first words that came to my, my, my mind's eye was, was mom. Even though I knew it wasn't her screaming. It was my grandmother. And uh, it was at my front doorstep. She couldn't tell me. I had to grab her face and, t and say, say it. Look, look at me, beautiful. You have to tell me, even though I already knew. Both times that the news was broken to me that one of my parents passed, I already knew. I already felt. Uh, call it intuition. Call it spirit. Before I was told, I felt it. I knew. You asked me, and you even even prefaced it by saying maybe we shouldn't go there, but we have to. That 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 it shows that I can still stand tall, but I can only stand tall because I've relied on these things that helped me: the breath work, the yoga, the true honest connections, mm -hmm. um, and MMFI. I wanted to make people feel better, and that's been reflected upon me with the utmost expansive love, where I get these beautiful reflections of how I make people feel. And it's just this, like, almost like, <laughs> I'm competitive, so are you. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like, who can be nicer? Who yeah. can be kinder? <laughs> who can love harder? And uh, that, that there is, I would, I would describe 
it's crazy to say this, but I would describe football, losing football as the darkest time mm-hmm. and losing my father and mother within a month of each other. Though dark, I still held on to my light. You're more prepared. I was, I was prepared for it. And I'm so, so, so grateful for it. Because if I had not had it as a tool on my tool belt, who's to say I wouldn't be six feet under myself? powerful stuff man speak of spreading that positivity and and uh and love to to people these days what does what does life look like for you at the moment and and i guess what what is the intention for you daily and and yearly at the moment in terms of what you're out to achieve and and the impact you want to have on other people's lives positive yeah. hopefully it's positive yeah. impact um but impact nonetheless uh, i like my size my stature my voice, I walk into a room, people look. Yeah. I speak, now people listen. Uh, because even 34 years old, my experiences at this age are wildly different and, and um, complex than most yeah. men my age. Um, I've reached a couple mountaintops, and I will continue to climb. And, but I've also fallen down yeah. mountaintops as well and face planted rock bottom. And I guess my journey is to articulate that so people can resonate with it. Um, I was lucky to be in growing up in a very culturally diverse family. If you went to my family reunion or a holiday, everyone looks different. (laughs) There's Asian, there's black, there's everything. Southern, there's Mexican, everything. Everything is there. So I was very lucky in that regard. Um, but yeah, the, the, how I navigate through life now is you keep, keep coming back to MMFI, huh? Yeah. I, um, my daily, my yearly, my daily is to impact people, but remind people of their own power. Like I mentioned earlier and just share what I love because this simple thing of the breath, it is so profound, yet it is quite simple. You do you breathe in a rhythmic fashion for mm-hmm. a length of time, you can have a profound experience. And still, even though it's trendy, even though it's new, even though it's g- catching some steam, still people don't know anything about it. Yeah, God. this is like yoga 15, 20 years ago. When mm-hmm. People were like, "Oh, yoga," and you know, now it's part of people's daily lives. Breath work, you don't even need a mat. You don't even need someone to guide you mm-hmm. you don't need to know about your chakras yeah oh it's helpful yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's something that's we've done since we've been into this world we came into this world and it's something you know that my my relationship with it is that i have i have an understanding that it through our social environment we breathe incorrectly it wasn't until like four four or five five six years old when you start sitting at a desk that you hunch over and mm-hmm. you're wearing a belt and a uniform, that you breathe differently. Yeah. Okay. You, when babies, they breathe correctly. They breathe yeah. into their diaphragm. They breathe into their belly, right? They mm-hmm. optimize their lung at capacity. Then we get into our school, we're breathing differently. Fast forward 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, when you hit puberty, you don't want the girl or boy next to you to see your big belly. So you breathe into your chest. Mm-hmm. So these social, uh, uh, social things our environment dictates breathing incorrectly so we'd have this stress response we're breathing into our chest yeah adrenaline and that type of thing so uh i feel like i'm here to deliver a message because i am the biggest messenger <laughs> big joe my instagram bio is the biggest joe you know <laughs> i should have put that in the intro <laughs> yeah by far you are definitely the biggest joe that i know that's <laughs> yeah, for sure yeah. because, right? <laughs> so with with that i think god um has put me on this world to deliver a message and i'm not i'm not reinventing the wheel i don't really even want to be like the wim hof mm. i just want to be the messenger to people that need a reminders and I authentically share it because it's helped me so much. Breathwork saved my life. 
And in the last year or year and a half, and I've been really, really sharing it yeah. with purpose and intention, I have heard in the last year the phrase or the words, this changed my life. Or even deeper, which I try to avoid because it's, like, it's hard not to just eat it up, you changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that a few times and actually a lot. And at first I was like, huh, (laughs) okay, not me, it's you. And then I, there was a little twinkle in my eye. I was like, yeah, I did that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You're welcome. (laughs) But then I removed my ego. I, I, let's remove the ego from it. More became partners with it. Yeah. It feels good to hear that. Yeah. And yeah, that, that, you know, does keep me going a little bit, but at the same time that there's levels, there's, there's layers to when people say that it's, it's just a really good way, nice way of hearing thank you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is reaffirming. Sure, change your life. That's nice to hear. But I know behind that, it's, a, it's just an overwhelming, deep gratitude. Like, thank you for showing me this. Yeah. And I hope, I hope to be a deliverer of good news, gospel, if you will. Um, that, you know, my day-to-day is hopefully I can meet people whatever interaction, long or short, they feel better having met me. And I know that there are deep, with my relationship and education with trauma uh, and being really informed with that, not only with personal experience, but educationally as well, because I was curious. You know, once I got into breathwork and I had these profound experiences, I got really curious. I'm like, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. What is going on? And then I would call in more opportunities to speak about this with people that were like-minded or open to having a conversation Mm. or more often than not knew more than me. And I love being the dumbest person in the room. I feel like I am now. Ollie, you know what I'm talking about? My guy. (laughs) (laughs) I, I like that. I feel like I can learn from people that are around me. I, I, I always carry this youthful exuberance and curiosity mm-hmm. because I think it offers more uh, potential to learn, more potential to receive, more potential to expand. So I, um, I, I navigate through this life wanting to just help. And it just so happens that I'm helping people heal. And it just so happens that now I'm getting paid for it. And yeah. it's really hard to associate any sort of monetary value to what I do, what people do in, in my field. Um, and then again, I, I know not only being my size, but in, in my background with the NFL, but there is men in the space, Wim Hof, yep. Joe Dispenza, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, yeah. all those guys, yeah. Sanga- Sanguru, all yeah. the, the, these, these, these men, these, these figures, they are, they've given an opening to men in this space because it's not necessarily our first reaction is to nurture, yeah. to heal, to be vulnerable. Mm. It is the, quite the opposite. It is mo- mostly feminine, mostly female that have that innately within them. Mm-hmm. But to tap into that side and have it being received well, authentically and genuinely yeah. without any sort of, I want something out of this. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is an act of service. Yeah. And I, for the last year, like it's taking off and I'm doing tour breath work and um, I can talk about it so profoundly only because I've done it and I've performed it and I've guided it for free yeah I was yeah, like yeah. this is what gets me out of bed in the morning mm-hmm. you don't gotta pay me just give me a stage let me help yeah you know and it I got a the twinkle in my eye grew from sharing this time last year I had just like started really truly like a year and a half ago I led something here and there very nonchalant, yeah. Only with friends and family. When I fir- which is diff- more difficult. Sharing yeah. with friends and family is way more difficult. Cause you're like, oh, do you like it? Do you like it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't until I started, f- I could started being open to the idea of sharing with strangers and guiding strangers, people I just met. I was like, oh, I've been doing this. I have such yeah. a personal relationship with. It. I've shared with people that are that I really care about their opinion. Now it's like strangers. I'm like, I, if you like it, great. If not, like. Okay, it's not not your time. Yeah, uh, but I've gotten to that point where I've I've um, I've sh- I've shared it, and I've developed this 
not only unwavering confidence, but also like an unconscious competence. I can guide because I have a really close relationship with all types of pranayama, many different types of breath work, where it comes off authentically and it's received well because people can feel that it's helped me. And I, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, lo I love it. I love it. It literally it's what gets, gets me out of bed in the morning. Like the ability to share. I'm sharing tonight. The podcast with you got me out of bed this morning. But then the twinkle in my eye was like, okay, I get to, I get to guide yeah. breath work again too. So that's just like, it really gets me jonesing. That's brilliant, man. Well, I have absolutely zero doubt that you've um, added plenty of value and, and helped so many people that have listened to the episode today, um, myself included. I'm so stoked that we've that we've been able to connect, man, and um, very grateful for your time and, and and just looking forward to staying connected as well. And I mean, we can chat about this. Actually, I'm going to say on here, so then kind of like I have more leverage. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, I, I would love maybe even if you're able to, we can tee up um, maybe like a short form recorded breathwork or something that we can even share on on this podcast or we can link it back to your um socials or website or whatever through the show notes um for those that have never tried breathwork to to be introduced to it um but of course i'll have the links to everything um from your side in the show notes below so um the audience can can stay connected with everything that you're doing um but man i, I really appreciate your time and i'm stoked we've been able to connect thanks brother i appreciate you we're, we're gonna get we're definitely gonna get some breath work in before i leave 100%. Yeah. 100% we will. And um, I'm also extremely grateful for everyone who's tuned into this episode today um, and any episode that you've ever listened to. But if you have enjoyed it and taken value, we'd love for you to share this. Uh, grab a screenshot, share it on your social media, tag myself, tag the biggest Joe you've ever known. Um, I'll have the link to his Instagram in the show notes. And um, I'm looking forward to chatting to you guys again in the next episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. What did you say? This is your favorite episode? Uh, yeah, I think I said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, brother.